Please stand for the reading of God's word. This morning's reading will come from Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent out other servants, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business. While the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we're really glad to have you, and uh, we hope that you feel welcome. Um, we are in the middle of our sermon series on the parables of Jesus, and admittedly, the parable of the wedding feast is a hard one. A few people uh, this week when I told them what it was on, they're like, ugh, I hate that parable. <laughs> so let's enjoy it together today. <laughs> this parable actually takes us deep into the Passion Week. It's Jesus' final week on earth leading up to his death. And in the book of Matthew, this parable is actually part of Jesus' final confrontation with the Pharisees on the Temple Mount. And what makes this parable unique is that in Matthew's gospel, this parable of the wedding feast is actually the last parable that Jesus gives publicly. It's his last one. There's two more parables in Matthew, the parable of the uh, ten virgins, the parable of the talents, but those are in private with his disciples later on. So all this to say that Matthew sums up Jesus' entire ministry with this parable about an invitation to a wedding feast. It's essentially an invitation to a party that God is throwing for his son. To give you an idea of this, just an incredible invitation. And it's interesting that Jesus would have ended his ministry in this way in the book of Matthew. When Jesus came back into Jerusalem, that place would have been turned upside down. Here's this person, this prophet who's doing all of these works, finally coming in. They receive him like their conquering king. And he preaches for a couple of days. And I remember when I was actually in Israel, we went up to the Temple Mount where the Dome of the Rock is now, but you can actually see this massive courtyard outside the temple. It is gigantic. 
And you can just imagine Jesus up there teaching, and you could fit tens of thousands of people up there. All these people gathered, people of all different stories, nations, tribes, and tongues. And they're watching this debate happen between the Pharisees and the religious elite attacking Jesus time and time and time again, trying to trap him in his words. And they can never do it. He always flips it back on them. But at some point, he stops. And in Matthew, Jesus gives the parable of the wedding feast and invites all to the party. He says a few more things, and then he leaves the temple mount and he never returns. We were in that same position this morning as perhaps we can hear this invitation. We can travel back in time to this place where Jesus sums up his entire ministry through this invitation to a party. But why is the party a wedding feast? It's actually quite fitting. If you think about this parable, it's actually a summation, not just of Jesus' ministry, but the entire story of the Scriptures. It's the story of Israel's rejection of the messengers and the prophets and killing them. It's a story of Babylon coming in and laying waste to Jerusalem and Israel's cities. It's a story, it's a parable about the gospel going out to the entire world, to Gentiles. This is our story. And the hard part that makes people not like this parable very much is it's a parable about judgment, about not being in the wedding feast. But the idea of a wedding is actually quite fitting because we see a wedding from start to finish in the Scriptures, do we not? What's the first party that is thrown in the Scriptures? It's a wedding party. God creates Eve for Adam. And then he joins them together in marriage. Adam sees Eve, writes the first poem ever, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and he makes his vows. And God just delights in their delight of one another. So he throws them a party and he backs away slowly, dims the lights a little bit, puts on some soft music. He says, enjoy, enjoy. Because God cares about the joy of his people. We also see the same thing at the very end of the scriptures in Revelation 19. We see the wedding feast of the Lamb. Eternity is described, if anything in the scriptures, as a wedding reception that will last forever. And why is that great? Why? Because weddings are unique. It's kind of the one place where people can go and they just kind of lose all inhibitions. They just enjoy themselves. Everybody's seen grandma and grandpa out there on the dance floor. Had a little glass of grape juice, dancing. Everybody's enjoying themselves because it's a celebration. It's a time to rejoice. So what's the significance of this today? What's the parable of the wedding feast telling us? Above all, it's telling us that God is throwing a party at the end of time. It's a celebration for his son. And today I want you to think differently about the gospel. I want you to come into this parable with a different perspective. I want you to see it from a different angle. I want you to hear the gospel as an invitation to this divine celebration. It's an invitation to the party. And God the Father is the yearning host that desires for you to be his honored guest. Because right now as we speak, this parable is happening. God is gathering his guests from every corner of the world, Rajamundri to Rockwall, on every dirt road, every side, every back alley, every side road, 
He's gathering his guests. And so the, today, the question of your life comes down to, will you be there? Will you be at the party? And one thing we need to see about this divine party is that it's the most inclusive and it's the most exclusive party in town all at the same time. It's inclusive because there isn't a thing about you or that you have ever done that will ever keep you from being invited. But it's also exclusive because there's only one way to get in if you decide to respond. And in this parable, we see the invitation go out and we see three different responses. The first response is this response of indifference. It's a summation of Israel's history, summed up in about three verses. God sends an invitation and constantly reminds people through his prophets that Israel was invited to this tremendous opportunity, the celebration of being a light to the world, and time after time, they rejected it. Every time they'd sent a prophet, they killed him. Because they were more concerned with other things. And Israel's story is simply one that didn't want to come to the didn't want to answer the invitation because they were pursuing other things: wealth, power, money, other gods, wanting to be like other nations, keeping up with the Joneses. And the prophets would call them back, but every time, like verse 5 says, they paid no attention. They paid no attention. They'd focus on their business and they would treat the invitation and warning with indifference. But there's something that lies beneath the surface of their indifference. It's not just caring about doing other things. There's something much more sinister below their indifference. In verse 5, you have Israel's indifference shown by their pursuit of worldly business and personal gain. Their unending pursuit and acquisition of wealth and status. But at the end of the verse, you have others who respond with hostility. So they gather up the servants, they chain them up, they bind them, treat them shamefully, and they kill them. So on the one hand, in this one verse, you have those who are completely indifferent to the response. But on the other hand, you have this hostile response. But I would suggest that in essence, this verse treats both responses as the exact same. They're both obstinate rejections of the invitation. So what do we need to see here? I think Jesus is telling us that our indifference to his invitation is nothing but veiled hostility. Yes, for those who killed the servants in the parable, their hostility is obvious, of course. But for those who are concerned with their own agenda, the story is the exact same. They're invited to the feast, but their response essentially says, I don't care. I don't care. I have more important things to do than to be bothered with you. I do not care. And they treat the invitation with hostility because in the end, their indifference treats the son as though he's dead. They say, I don't want my life to be influenced by you. And I will continue doing what I want, how I want, as though you don't exist. And they treat the invitation with hostility. The challenging part of today's message is how do we do the same thing? Jesus invites us to come unto him and celebrate how precious he is. Come and celebrate the Son. But we refuse the invitation because our schedule's booked up. The invitation to come and find freedom from sin is rejected because really, deep down, we just don't feel guilty. Look at us. Got a great life, great job, great house, great family, great kids. 
what am I guilty of? What need do I have? Jesus says that you need healing and you say, stop bothering me. Just go away. And for the one who is concerned about their business or home or worldly things, the challenge is to recognize that the invitation to celebrate the sun is inconvenient for your lifestyle. And we always meet inconvenience with hostility. We can hardly be cut off on 635 without killing someone in our hearts as though we say, oh, go ahead, please. (laughs) The slightest of inconvenience in our hostility comes out. And the invitation that they're offered gets in the way of what they want to do. And in the end, our indifference treats Jesus as though he's dead because in the end we end up living a life that's completely unaffected by him and we treat him as though he doesn't exist. So the difference between an atheist who hates God and an agnostic who doesn't care is nothing. It's nothing. You also have to remember this is a parable about judgment, that Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem in the past, and Jesus warns that Jerusalem will also be destroyed in the future. Two chapters later in Matthew 24, when Jesus left the Temple Mount for the last time, The disciples are walking with him and they're pointing at all the buildings around the temple and coming to Jesus and saying, look, look at this. And Ryan and I were talking earlier this week that for some of those disciples, they were poor. This might have been the first time they ever were in Jerusalem, having seen the temple and they're just caught up in this glory. And Jesus just simply says to them, do not be mesmerized by the things of this world. For very soon from now, this temple will be destroyed and there will not be one brick left on top of another. And the warning to us is the same, that if we struggle with indifference because we're pursuing the things of this world, I invite you to hear again the invitation that Jesus has something far better for you than anything you could possibly dream up or imagine or build for yourself in this world. That He has withheld nothing from you, and He invites you to a party where the party favor is the entire universe. He gives you everything. But we also have to hear the warning that one day Jesus will return. And whatever we do try to build for ourselves here, he will not leave one brick on top of another. The parable continues with two more responses. The king arrives, and he sees that his guests were not worthy to it. He sees that his guests before, the invitees, were not worthy of being guests. And so he sends out to the highways and byways and tells his servants to literally invite Anyone you can find. Invite anyone in earshot. The invitation to come to the wedding feast is so all-inclusive that he invites the people that we would probably never, ever be at a party with. He invites people on the side of the road, which is the homeless, the prostitutes, beggars, lepers, cripples, tax collectors, crooks, thieves, people that are begging, people that don't often show up at parties that we're at. And the invitation goes out to all who would accept. And this party, we have to remember, is inclusive because there's not a thing that can keep you from being invited. And that's the beauty of the invitation. What are we supposed to see out of this inclusivity of the invitation? You have to see God's unwavering commitment to celebrate His Son. And you have to also see 
his unwavering commitment to have you be his guest, to have you celebrate with him. It doesn't matter your story, where you come from, what you do, what you've done, how you've been hurt, how you've hurt others, it doesn't matter. It's all null and void. You have been invited. And it's the most exclusive or inclusive party in town. But it's also exclusive. Because there's only one way to get in. And these guests who've been invited, the requirement is that there's still one stipulation on their attendance. And we see it here in verse 11. The king comes into the party after all the guests have arrived. And immediately he sees one guest that sticks out like a sore thumb. Sees him immediately. And the king walks up to the man and he says, where's your wedding garment? And the man is speechless. And the king has a man bound up and thrown into the outer darkness. What's going on here? Seems like a pretty harsh response from the king. Sounds like God is the divine fashion police that didn't like his outfit, wasn't wearing the right things, didn't have enough expensive suit. The idea that we have to understand is that wedding garments are pretty far removed from our Western context. But in an ancient context, it actually meant something. It was very important, especially for Israel. And we see it in Revelation 19, when it talks about the wedding feast of the Lamb. It talks about the wedding garments, the fine linens that the guests, the true guests wear, are the righteous deeds of the saints. They are dressed in their good deeds, and this man was dressed in nothing. And the significance of this for understanding our parable today is that the man who kicked out had no righteous deeds. He had nothing to clothe himself with. And the parable, what he's effectively saying is that this unprepared guest accepted the invitation but wanted to come on his own terms. And the guest wanted to arrive and celebrate the son in a manner that he decided. So what does that actually look like? What does it mean to celebrate the son on our own terms? And it's an important question to ask because this scene unfolding before us, every one of us will live on the day of judgment. It's an important question to ask. How do we celebrate the son on our own terms? Let me put it this way. The ones who initially were invited rejected Jesus for their own personal gain. This man who was kicked out of the party received Jesus for his own personal gain. What do I mean by that? Well, it looks like this. When you feel guilty about sin, you get up early the next day for a quick quiet time. You feel the guilt of buyer's remorse, so you give a monetary gift. You buy that thing that you know you really don't need, and you feel a little bit of guilt for spending too much money on it, so you give a little extra money in the offering to justify it. Or when you feel guilty and ashamed of sin, you beat yourself up a lot, and you just beat yourself up and beat yourself up just so Jesus knows you really feel bad about it. Or in life, you can see a pattern where work gets hard, marriage gets difficult, and church attendance goes up. Then it goes back down when life returns to normal. We come to Jesus on an as-needed basis. And He's just an app on our phone. And whatever it is, when we feel guilt in all of these ways, we self-atone by bribing God with perfect attendance on Sundays or a willingness to go to India 
or giving more money or just a little bit more of our time. And the list goes on and on. And every one of us does this to some degree. There's not some who do and some who don't. But here's the point, that this type of response to the gospel's invitation is nothing but self-righteousness. Because you're only really using Jesus as a tool to remove the guilt that you hate feeling. And it's not celebrating the Son. I come to Him when I need Him and rather come to Him because I find so much joy and satisfaction in being with Him and in knowing Him. This man came to the party on his own terms and shows us a picture of what it means to celebrate Jesus when it's convenient for us and it fits our agenda. And it's a tough question that we have to wrestle with what that looks like for each of us. And we have to take seriously the caution that Jesus says, that Jesus gives us when he says that the king will one day come to such a person and say, why are you here? Why are you here? And they're thrown into the outer darkness because they're not there to truly celebrate the sun in eternity because they were never there to celebrate the sun in life. And I think the, the heart, the, one of the, where it says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's a really scary verse. This man is kicked out because he doesn't want to celebrate the sun and he thinks he has this invitation to come to this immaculate party with the king. And hell is described as a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the word gnashing means grinding your teeth. And it's a picture of profound, eternal regret. That when you make a mistake, you just grind your teeth and you say, Ugh, how could I have missed it? How could I have been so stupid? It's like that feeling you know when you made a mistake and your stomach just drops and hits the floor. Hell will be that feeling forever because we missed the true invitation to celebrate the sun. That is a hard saying. And nobody wants to realize in that moment that they're naked. But the only difference between the guest who was rejected and the true guests of the party is that the true guests of the party realized they were naked long before they got there. And they prepared. And they did something about it. So how do we dress for this divine party? Because this the teaching on judgment is difficult. Gosh, it's so difficult. How do we dress? The difference between these two responses is ingratitude. It sounds simple, but it's ingratitude. Self-righteousness is born out of guilt. But true righteousness is born out of an abundance of gratitude. Think about it. The invitation goes out to the blind, sick, lame, the worst filth of humanity. And it goes out to them, people who never entertain the thought of ever stepping foot into the royal court. And the only proper response in that moment is to say, me? The king is inviting me? The king is inviting me to come to his table? He wants me to be his honored guest? What do I wear? What should I do? How do I prepare? What gratitude and grace that the king would entertain me in his court. Because I never, ever, ever deserved it. I've done nothing. What type of king 
would invite me in. And this is why Spurgeon says, you always want homeless people and poor people at your parties. Why? Because they're impressed with everything. <laughs> oh my goodness, this fork, it's so shiny. These plates, this food, it tastes amazing. I have never had anything like this. Do we come to the invitation of the gospel with such gratitude? And this is why we have to recognize that true righteousness comes from the gratitude where we recognize we have no right to ever have been invited to this eternal party. But thank God that He is the yearning host that comes and invites His people to feast for all eternity. And I think this is why Jesus uses a wedding feast as His final parable to help us understand what it means to truly repair, prepare. What righteousness truly looks, looks like. Now think about your own wedding. Think about how much joy and gratitude you felt after you were married. You're on your honeymoon. You feel so grateful and joyful to have this woman as your bride, this man as your husband. And out of that gratitude comes this desire to love them, to care for them, to make them happy, to meet their needs. Your dining room table is never without flowers. You always leave the room saying, babe, is there anything I can get for you? Is there anything I can get for you, hon? Can I do anything to make you more comfortable? You give foot rubs and back rubs and you take out the trash just so they don't have to. And it's easy because you're so grateful for this person. If you're worried about your righteous works, start with gratitude because righteousness comes really easy after that. And you don't give flowers on Valentine's Day or an anniversary because that's just the thing you do. No, it's the opposite. You do these things in loving and serving Jesus, these righteous works, only out of a heart of gratitude. It's a grateful heart that sees Jesus as a precious gift. Why is this important? It's important because when you really understand the beauty of the invitation and the gratitude that fills your heart, what's your money? You can give it away because you've been given a lot more. When you're grateful, you don't have to worry all the time and be so anxious because you're so grateful for this king and this God who loves and cares for every single one of your needs. And he'll take care of tomorrow too. When you respond to him in gratitude, righteousness is easy. But on the other hand, self-righteousness always begins to grow when we treat the invitation as old normal, and stale. And self-righteousness continues to grow where we stopped. We stopped being moved by the gospel. And we just begin to do things because that's just what you do. So how do I know which one I am? Well, let me tell you a story and we'll close. Came across a story a uh, couple months ago. I saw this article where somebody had posted on a subgroup on Reddit where they posted an article or they posted this picture. Uh, I want to use my words carefully. They posted this picture stitched together into one picture, but on this one, one side and on the other was this man who was overweight. He was overweight. And he was just dancing at a concert by himself, causing nobody problems, just dancing and enjoying himself. 
And then on the other, other side of this, this picture, he was, had his hands in his pockets and he had his head down and he was turning away. And the guy who posted this picture on Reddit said, put the caption, I found this specimen earlier this week trying to dance at the concert. He walked away whenever he realized that we were all laughing at him. Now, I don't feel very pastoral thoughts when I read things like that. Does that not just make you so angry? This bullying that's happening to this man who's just wanting to enjoy himself. There's a woman named Cassandra Fairbanks who found this post on Reddit, and it enraged her so much. She's a well-known author on many online publications and a social activist, and she saw this, and she said, I want to do something about this. So she posts this same picture on Twitter, and she said, please help me find this man, because me and a few hundred of my girlfriends want to fly him to L.A., and we want to throw him a party. Hashtag find dancing man. And within a few hours, this thing had trended on Twitter to the very top. It blew up. People were looking all over the place. Hashtag find dancing man was everywhere. Within a night, they raised $30,000 on GoFundMe just to provide the party. Pharrell Williams actually tweeted and saw it and said, you have the party, I'll be there. Moby tweeted and said, if you have the party, I'll DJ it if you'll have me. (laughs) Ellie Golding said, I'll be there. One of the hottest clubs, Club Avalon in Hollywood, said, you can have it here for free. But nobody could find Dancing Man, and the search went on and on and on. There were people staying up all night looking for Dancing Man, and pretty soon it crossed the world. People were in airports claiming to have saw him because he was traveling that day. And they were looking for him. They said, I think I saw him, but I couldn't get to him. I saw him at the airport in London. And then people at the airport in London started looking for him and posting him. Trying to look for him. And the whole thing just blew up. It was incredible. Fine dancing man. So the next day, Sean O'Brien gets a phone call from his friend. And he says, Sean, what's going on? Sean says, I don't know. What, what do you, is everything okay? He says, Sean. Don't you know the world is searching for you? What? No. He said, what are you talking about? So he shows him. And his friend comes over, and he didn't have a Twitter account, so they got him a Twitter account. And the first thing, he's, first thing he did was he wrote Cassidy and all of Twitter, thank you. I am so overwhelmed. And then he said, hashtag dancing man found. And they threw the party, and it was huge, huge party. Unbelievable. This guy's life is crazy in the way that it's changed. But the sad truth is this. The sad truth is that we will be far more moved by that story than by the story of the gospel. We hear that gracious invitation, and we're far more moved by that than the one that we have been given. Do you not know that you have been invited to something far greater? Do you not know that you have been invited to an eternal feast that you never knew about? And it's funded with the very blood of God. And it will last not till 2 a.m. It will last forever. And the Bible is very clear that this search 
for these precious guests does not just cross continents, it crosses worlds. It says that heaven and earth is eagerly waiting for these guests to be revealed. Do you not know who is searching for you to invite you to be his guest? I want you to do two things this week. Gratitude is not easy, it's practiced. I want you to thank God and start doing gratitude as much as you possibly can for anything you can possibly think of. I want you to thank God just for getting you safely to work. I want you to thank God for letting you wake up, having one more day with your children. I want you to thank God for the breath in your lungs even now. I want you to thank God that you don't have, you're not sick with disease. I want you to practice gratitude and see His gracious goodness in every area of your life. And then, I want you to pray that you would be overwhelmed with the invitation. I want you to ask Jesus to overwhelm you with how precious His invitation is. And when it comes, I pray that it does quickly. When you're overwhelmed, you'll do the same thing Sean does. And you'll say the same thing he said when he called his best friend after he found out all this. And he said, I cannot believe they found me. I can't believe they found me. Let's pray. Jesus, we once were far off. We were on the side of the road. unknowing of this feast that you were preparing to celebrate your precious Son. We often get busy with other things and care about the things of this world far more. We often try to atone for ourselves and pretend to celebrate the Son just so it makes us feel better. We know we're all guilty of that. We want to be dressed for the party. We want to be prepared and drenched with the righteous deeds that come from a heart that is so grateful for what you have given us. Your word says that no eye has seen nor ear heard nor heart of man imagined what you have in store for those who love you. Would you please give us more love for you and help us to be overwhelmed by the beauty of being invited to feast at the King's table. We ask all these things for your glory and our sake. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.